This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. And uh, if you hurry all the way up until October 2nd, um, they do have a 20% off coupon code uh, HNT20SPT. That'll save you 20% on everything but their new heat boost stuff. Um, And I got to tell you, that's kind of a bummer, uh, but I understand why they do that. It's brand new. Um, That heat boost stuff is great. Um, But another thing to to think about and one of the things they're giving away for our quarterly giveaway here which is going to be right at the beginning of October uh, as we go into the fourth quarter of this year um, they're giving away their Holton setup and uh, that's by far uh, the best piece of gear that I've used now I'm really excited about that heat boost stuff I've tried it on um, and it's warm Um, but if you're interested in something you want to take advantage of that 20 percent off uh that holton setup uh it's got the berber uh, inside it's got the windproof um it's got the water resistant coating it's just a great uh piece of gear i used it all the way up until uh january 1st like 20 mile an hour winds um just just a great great piece of uh piece of gear um by huntworth so again uh huntworthgear.com check them out and use that code hnt20spt to save 20 percent off um and as i'm talking about the patreon's uh giveaway i uh, just want to say i gotta give a shout out uh gotta be related uh cody and Jarrett poston out of cisco texas so uh new patreons they're in for the giveaways in the marco polo group uh they get ad free listening they get uh you know access to the vitals live all that stuff um and you can check that out at uh patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast or um just go to our instagram or go to the website bowhunter chronicles podcast.com and you can click on patreon but 
you know, we're doing that giveaway. We're giving away that setup I just mentioned from, from Trophy Line. We've got a full uh, setup from Latitude with one of their Classic 2 saddles. We got the, the ropes, pouches. Um, we've got some uh, a backband, you know, kind of everything that they got, their gear hanger, uh, a full setup from Latitude. Uh, that's going out to somebody. Uh, Lucky Buck, you know, that Lucky Buck seed that we put planted, uh, that little food plot has just got deer constantly in it up in the UP. Um, and the mineral sites are still going well up there too um, from way earlier this year. So I'm uh, pretty excited. Hopefully I'll get up there uh, before Thanksgiving. But uh, Lucky Buck, they give away either uh, some of their seed uh, for you guys who can't use the mineral or they give away a bucket of the mineral um, to somebody and uh, Spartan Forge. So I just did a podcast with Bill. That's going to be coming up. Um, so Spartan Forge is uh, artificial intelligence for the deer woods. It uses military-based technology to kind of predict uh, deer movement so you can be as efficient as possible when you enter the woods. Uh, but their mapping and uh, their their app is uh, really coming along. Um, and uh, by the time that this comes out or uh, by the by the next week or so, uh, they're going to have the online uh, mapping as well. So right now everything is within the app, uh, but it's coming out for the computer and uh, the imagery there is is crazy. Um, and then they're they're doing some 3D mapping features and uh, some some really great stuff. Um, you can check them out at SpartanForge.ai, uh, and you can use 25 you can use code Bowhunter to save 25% off over there. Uh, but they give away a year subscription to that. And, uh, you know, we really thank them for that. Um, and then Zingers, you know, our friends at Zingers, they, uh, they give away some of their, uh, 3d printed fletchings on, uh, every one of the quarterly giveaways. And we really appreciate it. I just, I just, uh, tipped mine with a little bit of glue, uh, to keep them from coming off. But if you use a wrap, they don't come off at all. Uh, I just didn't want to have to pull them off and put them back on. So that's just me, but I'm excited. I'll be using those again this year. And, uh, so th- they donated a bunch of stuff for our, uh, Patreon hunt. The, uh, guys from Latitude, uh, sent us a big package and, uh, the guys from Trophy Line, I'm, I'm waiting on that one, but they, they've got something in the mail for us too. Um, really excited about that. That's coming up in a couple of weeks and I've been doing some scouting, got some deer on camera. Um, that one, is going to be a, a fun camp. I don't know what uh, what our success rate's going to be, uh, but we've got the numbers. There's going to be a bunch of guys up there having fun, um, and that's another thing that was open to the Patreons. Um, so you can, uh, again, go to patreon.com forward slash podcast. Um, but, you know, this podcast with Jake Bush, Jake, I got to uh, meet him in person uh, down in the, the Mobile Hunters Expo in Ohio, and uh, we talked about some spots, uh, what was going on for his uh, season, and then with this EHD coming out, it's kind of uh, you know EHD is hitting Ohio pretty pretty good. Uh, it's hitting you know some of the other places they're seeing it in Michigan here a little bit as well, um, but we kind of go through that. We talk about you know how he uses the wind what apps he uses, uh, all the different things as far as him uh, preparing for the hunt. And then now that his cameras have gone cold, uh, how he's going to adjust and what he's going to do for that. So I think this will help uh, a lot of guys, especially from the wind uh, aspect. But, 
Yeah. So uh, Jake Bush is always a great listen. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for checking us out. Tell somebody about the podcast. And always, as always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, our guest today, I've had on the podcast a couple times. I know I've done a few vitals live with them. Uh, I've we've we've now done this. I don't know a dozen, a half a dozen times at least. And uh, I was down at the Mobile Hunters Expo, and I walk in, and uh, it's like the first day, and a Latitude booth is all set up. I walk in and. Parker McDonald's there and he's talking to Jake and I walk up kind of behind Jake and I see Parker McDonald there in a conversation of as only high level deer hunters could have. And I don't want to interrupt these two guys, you know, so I just reach my hand out. I shake Parker's hand, kind of smile and just kind of, you know, Jake's talking. So he's kind of like that and, uh, gets done talking and Parker's like, Hey, what's up, buddy. And and Jake looks at me and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm Jake Bush. And I was like, Oh, Hey, yep. How's it going? And then I don't know, it was like an hour later or something. He comes up and he's like, I can't believe you let me introduce myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was funny, but uh, yeah. So I had brought Jake on. I wanted to talk about uh, wind uh, hunting the wind. So he's, he's a wind based betting and he's one of the only guys that I've heard talk about like hunting wind shifts and stuff like that. Um, like midday taking that from his trail cam data, but, uh, we're going to shift the, uh, the, uh, topic a little bit here to start off because, uh, there's been some, some recent, uh, maybe lack of activity on your, your trail cameras here recently. So what's that all about? Yeah. So, uh, I started hearing the the term EHD get thrown around about a month ago in Ohio. Uh, a couple podcasts came out where they had like the ODNR on them and they were talking about like EHD down by Cincinnati and how they were noticing it in like at the time four or five counties and they hadn't really um, done enough testing to say like what counties specifically besides those like major four were impacted. Um, and obviously that's that's carried itself all the way up here pretty far. You know, I'm really scouting and hunting anywhere in Southern Ohio below like, uh, 70. So it could be anywhere from over by West Virginia, all the way down to close to Cincinnati or the Kentucky border. And I'm kind of seeing the same thing all over the place for the most part, where, uh, not a ton of deer out in the woods. There's the more time that I spend in the woods, like this last couple of weeks pulling cams, the more dead ones I've found. The lack of deer sign is definitely something that I haven't noticed before. Um, the majority of these areas are areas that have always been low deer densities, at least as long as I've been down here. But this year, it's like, I was telling you earlier, it reminds me of like, after, uh, like a shotgun season down here, being from New York, like after a rifle season, when a lot of deer are just dead where the woods are, they seem different. They seem off a little bit. It's, it's depressing for sure. Um, I mean, I found like today I have a, a beautiful bedding area with, like this line of white oaks that goes right down to a Creek bottom. And those white oaks are dropping like crazy. I mean, I went in to pull my cameras and I hit the first white Oak and the wind was blowing pretty good, like 10 to 12 mile an hour wind. And, uh, every time it would gust, I'm just getting hit in the head with white Oak acorns. I mean, they're dropping like crazy. And you can imagine, like I took a story, I'm all fired up. I'm like, like, this is it. This is what I'm looking for right here. I'm going to continue to follow these white Oaks up 
towards the bedding and it's going to get hotter and hotter and there's going to be more sign. And I found like a couple piles of, of deer poop. That was it. There wasn't very much at all. And I thought that was really odd. And 90% of the way up that flat, I found the first dead buck of the day and they immediately clicked, you know, it was a two-year-old deer. Uh, he had died within the last probably 24 to 48 hours. He wasn't decomposed at all. He still had foam coming out of his nose. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, a little bit different this year. It's going to be a change for sure. So uh, for a guy like yourself who puts in so much time, so much work, you know, to, I mean, if I was, I guess I would say if we were to have like a, a pool of, of guys that we've had on the podcast who are going to kill on the first day, I mean, I, I think who uh, the odds on Jake Bush is going to be, you know, you're going to have to bet a lot of money to get your money back. Um, you know, so how does that affect you? Like, I mean, obviously it's disappointing and it's, you know, damaging for the deer herd and all that stuff, but like emotionally, like you put your whole everything into all of this. And now I feel like the playing field is leveled and you're going out there just like guys on day one. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a little bit different for me. Um, but I have been, I have had years when I didn't have a target season. And then I have that same aggressive approach and mentality just like throughout the opener where I won't even take a bow out and I'll just go like very aggressively scout my way into some of these bedding areas or like around the edge of the bedding areas, looking for the sign that I need, or like cut, try to cut a big set of tracks on the edge of a field to tip me off. Um, around here, we have quite a bit of like old strip mine and coal mine land. And I can just walk a lot of those like tailing piles and look for big tracks because they walk across them. It's, it's really easy to walk a mile, tailing pile straight in a straight line and just cut big tracks going in and out of the thick stuff. So I can do that. Um, there's a lot of different things that I can do. You know, even last year, I didn't have a target until four or five days before season when I pulled that last camera pull. So I have the same trade now. I went out and checked cameras today and I reorganized some of them and I put some in some new areas and I'll check those cameras in <clears throat> probably five to seven days and try to just get a beat on a buck. And I'm going to continue to move those cameras around and shift them and try to check them every days throughout season until I can find a buck to kind of target. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to like start hoping for a buck to walk by or go sit somewhere that historically has been good for me because he could be laying in a ditch dead right now. And there might not be a deer in there. I really want to have like that real intel and I want to be able to say, okay, I know this buck is alive. I know he's here. He's doing these things right now. I want to go attack him the way I always attack that deer. So I'm going to have the same approach. It's going to be aggressive. Like I said, if I have to even try to do like a bump and dump style hunt, I will, I'll get up on top of some of these ridges and walk them like I do in the summertime and just see if I can glass deer as I bump them down the ridge. Just try to come up with any approach at this point that I can. So one of the things that I find difficult and it kind of goes to the, like for me, like trying to decide like whether I want to bring my traditional bow out or my regular bow out, it, it, you know, it's hard for me because I feel like any opportunity or any time that I'm in the woods hunting deer, like the biggest deer of my life could walk out. Like it was easy when we were hunting turkeys because I'm not hunting 
big turkeys, right? I don't care about, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be the turkey of a lifetime, right? So how do you mentally, when the season's open, go out without a bow or without a weapon? Like what's the thought process there? So the thought process to me is that in my head, it's, it's not even really season for me until I find that animal. So like the opener is just the first day that I get to attack that animal and go after him. But that's all it really means. You know, like if I don't have what I need, I mean, I've sat, I've, I've spent quite a few openers scouting in the past for that reason, where I was just like, I needed a little bit more Intel or I needed to, you know, cancel out a specific thing or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I mean, I, I like everybody wants to fill their tag. I want to fill my tag, but it's not something that hangs over my head that I feel like I need to do. Like, do I want that? Absolutely. Like more than anything, that's what I've worked all year for, but I've killed a a lot of deer. I mean, I've, I've, I've killed a bunch of them. I don't need to kill one as quickly as possible necessarily, but I do want to make sure that if I'm hunting that deer, I'm hunting them the way that I like doing it and the way that I find just, you know, what gets me going. Um, so yeah, so for me, it's just another day of scouting. And when I have what I need to attack the deer and to go in after him, I'll do just that. So that kind of goes into one of the questions I was, I was thinking is like, when is the last time that you were, uh, I, I guess, going from the EHD, um, mentality, um, to like kind of where you're at right now, like when was the last time that you were surprised in the stand? Like maybe you were hunting one deer and then a different deer, you ended up killing a different one. Or so when you went out, because with the amount of trail cameras that you run, you know, you're in the camp that I would say, unless maybe it's out of state, right? Like Kansas, but where you have an idea, like you're looking for something specific where, you know, maybe it's because I don't spend that much time in there. I don't have like the, maybe I'm lazy or whatever, different approach, but like, we've talked about this before of like how I like to go out there, break down an area and say, there's going to be a buck here and then be surprised. Like, Oh man, like I was right. You know what I mean? Like, like that sort of like difference right there. Yeah, no. And I don't think that's laziness at all. I think it's all about what gets you going. Uh, there's a lot of fun in doing that style of hunt. I really like that for out of state. Um, just in my home state, I, at least once a year, I like to do the chess match and I like to have that chess match with like that specific animal and it's just got to get me going. And I've got, I've still got some really good bucks that I could go chase or that I could chase with my brother or my girlfriend or, uh, my buddy Drew's coming down from Michigan for the opener. Like I could go film for him and we could chase some of these really good deer but I have like 10 deer that are in the same class, which is fine. They're in the same age class, same antler class. And that's great. I could target those deer, but like, I just, I like that one that just gets me going a little bit more. So that's what I'm searching for right now. Uh, But yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong either way, honestly. But like to, to the point, like when's the last time that you went out like, blind or were like surprised or like all of a sudden something got you going when you didn't expect it. So 2019 was the last time that that happened. And I, uh, I knew there was a good one in the area. Like I was targeting one specific buck and a bigger one showed up. And so like, that was a great surprise and it can happen. That's the thing. It can happen. I still felt 
great about that hunt because it played out like there was a buck in that bed and I could, I could hunt like that. I mean, probably all year and still kill a good buck. Um, I'm just at the point where I just want to have a little more chase. I like that. I, that's, that's what gets me going. John, so, what, what's your thought? Yeah. Well, no, I was, I was still thinking on the EHD thing. So, um, so is it like, has it been a drought down there? Like no rain? I mean, what, what, what are the, uh, they so, saying about it? Why is it happening this year? So I, I've, from what I've heard and the little research that I've done or a couple podcasts I've listened to, there's a couple of different ways to, and don't quote me on any of this. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking to you guys, but there's, from what I've heard, there's, you can either have like the drought year where it's really bad, or you can have like a really rainy June and early July which creates a bunch of standing water. And then as the summer starts to dry out, when that water starts to evaporate, it creates a bunch of mud. And that mud is like the perfect breeding ground for the midges as well. And so like a rainier year with the right conditions can have kind of the same effect. I think that's what we're seeing because like going through the summer, I mean, I was, every time we got rain, I remember like talking to my girlfriend about it. I was like, well, I'm glad it's raining because that should cut down the EHD. Like we shouldn't have to worry about it this year. It should cut it down, it should cut it down. And then what I thought it was one of the rainier summers that we've had, at least in my area in like central or southeastern Ohio. Um, and then it, it turns out being a really bad EHD year. So I don't really know all the sciences behind it, but I would say that, no, we didn't really have a drought. If anything, it was more rainy than usual, at least from what I'm used to. Um, but it just seems like the perfect storm almost. Do you think... Uh, I guess what effect do you think it's going to have on the Ohio season overall? I mean, you know, you got like myself, like we've been talking about, you know, I'm going to go down there and and now I'm looking at this and I'm going like, Oh man, like, it's like, maybe I need to go down there earlier just to make sure maybe it's not going to be this uh, slam dunk hunt that I'm, that I'm picturing in my head, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that it's still in pockets, like very localized pockets and that I'm just extremely unfortunate. And I picked like four of those pockets out of the five spots I wanted to hunt. Um, that's like best case scenario, I guess, is that it's very localized. Hopefully it isn't broadcasted throughout the state. It just seems like, like a lot of my areas are in different counties are, I mean, I have spots like let's say spot one and spot five are really close to 80 or 90 miles apart. And there's, I see the exact same thing happening in both those areas. So I don't know if it's a terrain thing, you know, it's all hill country outside of the egg for the most part. I don't know if it's a terrain issue or what, but I definitely can see some of these areas are pretty popular areas and I can see them having a big impact on like the out of state hunters or any, any hunter in general, to be honest with you. Um, like I found three, two-year-old bucks dead today that a lot of people would have been happy with shooting. And so those are three deer that people don't get to kill and put on their table for food. They're rotting, which, which is terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to have an impact for probably quite a while in those areas and those localized areas. And we'll just have to see how it plays out. So what are you seeing on your trail camera? I mean, did you have any indication that this was happening from like trail cam data or anything like that, or it's just, you went out, did you, did you hear about it? And you were like, Oh man, I better go check these cameras. Or was this just during your normal course of like the season? I mean, you always hear about it in certain areas or like people will start talking about it, even, even if it's very localized. Um, so I never really take that with a grain of salt or I do take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I just, 
I started going out and just pulling those cameras. And then I was like going through my inventory and it was off to me. It just didn't seem right. Especially like I have half the inventory that I had the first year I was down here. And I have a lot more experience under my belt and a couple thousand miles of scouting and boots on the ground. So I should be getting better. And I didn't see that at all this year. I saw um, a lot less big deer and a lot less deer in general. And I think that the two go hand in hand with some of them dying off. Um, I had some good deer on camera, which is very odd. It's, it's different for me. I mean, I have certain areas like around clear cuts where they always hold good deer, but even those deer are gone. Like they've, they've disappeared. I mean, I can think of eight different 150 class bucks that I haven't had on camera in the last three weeks that were per, that were on my cameras, like all the time for, you know, a couple of weeks. And that's the way that it normally tends to happen this time of year is that shift happens and they like, they're in your area now, now you're getting them on camera even more often. And I'm seeing the exact opposite happen. So is that, I mean, have you, or can you attribute that to EHD or can you say, you know, maybe two of those deer just have a different range now? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. That could be it. I'm hoping that that's the case with a lot of those deer. I'm hoping a lot of those deer are still around. Um, the, I haven't found, uh, one of those bucks dead yet. I've just found a lot of bucks dead in those areas, which makes me worried. The thing is, is like, I'm not going through my best bedding areas this time of year. I'm not really like, I'm, I'm just going in pulling cameras and getting out. I'm not really messing around a whole lot. So there's a good chance that there's a lot more dead deer in those areas that I don't know about. It's just very odd to me that I can go in like today. I had an easy day. I did six miles, six mile loop. I found three dead deer pulling four camera cards. So that's not a great sign. So then to that point, when will you go in and, and verify, you know, like after the season, are you going to, I mean, you don't seem like a guy who just throws a sit at an area. You know, so on a day that you don't have a good wind or something for some other areas, are you going to burn one and go see if these deer are dead? Or, I mean, are you just going to wait till after the season? If there was a deer that I wanted to chase, it would, I would definitely be like dabbling around that area, trying to check for tracks and things like that. Um, but the way that I have it set up, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to be focused on trying to just, you know, task at hand, trying to get a deer on the ground. So, that's going to be the number one focus. Um, I'm sure I'll find a ton of them shed hunting this year. I can only imagine, you know, normally you find quite a few dead ones shed hunting, but I feel like it's going to be pretty bad this year. Okay. And so your season opens like in a week, right? Yeah. This upcoming Saturday. So it'll be September 24th. And at that point, like your buddy's coming down, but you don't have a deer right now that you want to kill dead or alive right there. You don't have one on camera that you're, that gets your blood up then. Yeah, no, I don't. And I mean, yeah, I don't at this point now. How do you, how do you feel about that? Like, has that been the case uh, in years past or is this, you know, kind of anxiety ridden? No, I mean, I'm confident that I can put the boots on the ground and stay aggressive and locate another one and get a plan together. Like, like today I went out to a spot. I was telling you about those white Oaks. Like if there's a deer in there where I shifted those cameras around, if there's a good one in there, I'm going to know that that good one's in there and I'll have a really good play on him for until those white Oaks dry up. And then I know where there's a really good red Oak flat. And then I know where there's a really good chestnut Oak flat in there. So I can follow these deer. Um, and I, 
I, I think over the last couple of years of running cameras down here, I build a lot of confidence, confidence up for late season, even though really hunting late season, because my cameras are just like blowing up in January with good deer. And I'm finding, you know, on average, let's say 30 to 50 sheds a year. So I feel like I have their winter ranges dialed in. So I always have that to fall back on. I know where the chestnut oaks are. I know where briar patches are at. I know where the clear cuts are at. I can find a deer late season if I need to and go out mid January to kill him. So in like, let's say the last five years, how long have you been in Ohio? Three years, four years? This, I moved down here June of 2019. So this is coming up on my fourth season down here. So what's the latest you've gone into the season and killed a deer? So the latest so far in the three years is November 15th is when I killed my buck. Okay. And so when does like, do you have like a panic setting or like a different level of like, you know, you, I know you said, Oh, I don't have to kill. I don't, you know, I don't need to do it, but there has to be some sort of like even internal pressure. So I did have a panic setting that year and I went against what I knew I should have done. And I just like, it left a bad taste in my mouth. I was after a giant buck. You've heard me talk about him. Probably. I probably talked about him to you a couple of times, that big giant typical with the super long beams and spread out tines, um, beautiful deer. But I shot that deer that I killed in 2020 and I kind of gave up on that giant typical and I should have just chased him all the way through November, December, January. And I'm very thankful for the deer that I killed, but I, I just like, that was my chase. And I love that. So I love that aspect of it so much. Um, so, so no, I don't think that I would have a panic button at all this year. It's just stick with the process. I've got such a long season down here and it's such a short gun season that I don't feel like there's a ton of pressure from that. So I have what September. So I've got the end of September, October, November, December, all of January to get a deer on the ground. I've got four months to find a deer, find a good pattern on him, and try to kill him the same way that I do opening day. And, you know, that's the other thing too, is like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing that I do for opening day. It's just going to, the only difference for me is that they're going to, there's going to be a rut. That's like the biggest pattern change that's going to happen is the rut is kind of like my deadline. And then obviously after the rut, things kind of get back in order the way that they should. And I can go back to that same attack method during the rut. It's kind of all over the place. Like there's, you could hunt beds and probably have success doing that. Um, that's how I killed my deer in 2020 was just hunting a buck bed and a buck came out of that bed that night, but it's just kind of sporadic. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I have a panic button this year. I don't feel really rushed. I mean, I, I just want to spend time in the woods and try to figure one out. So like from that aspect in that time frame, and from, from that, like chess match from doing all the podcasts, from all the information that's out there. I mean, I know that we're, uh, well, I would say that we're probably, um, of the same like person that I'm talking about, but with all the podcasts, with all the information that's out there, are you seeing more people? hunting the way that you hunt or getting into your areas and things like that. And then does that change the mindset too? Cause I mean, I know that we see it, Oh, yeah. you know, where 
places where we used to hunt or where we hunt. And then all of a sudden you'll go in and you'll be like, okay, there's a guy hunting there and that's a, he's in a good spot. You know what I mean? Like. Absolutely. So I have, I have noticed so many just like intelligent hunters out there and that's, I'm sure they're gaining knowledge from, you know, all, I know so many guys that have taught me a lot of stuff. They're learning from all of those same guys. Um, and they're doing things the right way. They're getting after it. They're putting a lot of boots on the ground. I've got, I'm battling with people in a lot of these spots that are better hunters than I am. I mean, they're in there getting it done. Uh, there's a guy down on that. I'm not going to mention his name because he's, he just likes to stay quiet, but he, uh, he works a lot harder than I do. He finds a lot more big deer than I do. And he's a killer and we're in a lot of the same areas and he might have a beat on a deer that I don't have a beat on. That's okay though. I'll, I'll find mine. I'll, I'll make it happen. But I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm getting into these areas and finding a lot more cameras in the hubs. I'm finding, uh, you know, a lot of setups like in between beds and in between a good Oak flat and things like that. And it's like, man, that's a, that's a pretty good spot. I found today when I was out, I found one, two, three, I found six cameras today in this area. Now, granted that's a six mile loop and I'm walking like some of the obvious areas of which are just giant intersections, like these big hubs in the bottom. Like I just anticipate cameras in some of these hubs now, and it's just figuring out ways to hunt them a little bit more efficiently. Um, but there's lots of cameras out there. So people are getting the Intel. People are doing the same thing for sure. Um, now, now with that being said, I still will always stick to the first sit is your, your best opportunity. If you're the first person to intrude on that deer, you're the one that has the best chance 100%. And as season goes on and these deer are getting manipulated more and they're getting bumped and they're getting pressured, that makes it a lot harder. It makes it so much more difficult, but it's still possible and I'll make it happen. So uh, that goes back to my initial, like the first question of you going in without a weapon, right? So you go in, you find a good spot and you intrude on this deer spot and do that bump and dump or like whatever, you know, that doesn't matter. Like I understand, like I'm, I'm fully of the camp that, you know, if you go in and you bump a deer out of his bed, it worked. So he's happy. He was there for a reason he lived. And like, I'd imagine you would say like, game on right so what are you talking about when you say like first sit intrusion as far as like the educating the deer or yep so as far as like scouting and intruding on them and or you know hunting it better than the the other guy so the guy who's hanging that camera the guy these guys that are doing it well and you're trying to kind of essentially compete against them or, you know, hunt smarter, better, whatever, you know, you're the way that I understood that is like, you were saying the first guy in first sit has the best opportunity. Whereas these guys aren't bumping them around. Yeah. So like a good example of that would be like today in this, in this big hub system, there's a camera in the bottom. There's actually two cameras in the bottom that were facing different directions. Could have been the same guy could have been multiple people. Like I'm not sure, but those two cameras down there, like I have a camera another hundred yards off. It's outside of the main hub, but it's still catching the same general traffic. Um, so say that I get a picture of a deer there. Well, that hub is just like a travel corridor between these giant ridge systems that have their own separate drainages. 
So say that you get a buck there. Well, that buck might not cross your camera until, you know, he could cross in daylight and be close, but chances are it's going to be later in the night. Well, okay. Well, now I have that picture of that deer at 10 o'clock coming from this direction. And I can look back and say, okay, based on what I know about deer and my scouting and everything I've done in the past, it was a West the day that he walked through there. So he was coming from this direction, this bed that I already have pre-scouted sets up really good for a West wind bedding. And there's another hub that's 300 yards up the drainage, like halfway up that ridge system that has a big hub scrape on it that I have another camera on. Let me just go. I can either check that camera or if it's a good enough deer, I'll just throw the sit at it. Once I find that hot sign, which I'm looking for on the way in anyways. So if he's in that area, he's going to have food around regardless. If he's there on that specific wind day, he was bedded with some sort of wind direction in mind. And then I can just like put the pieces together on the fly and take a shot at that deer like that. That's not as as efficient as like my, my normal early season sits that are like really dialed and the first person in, but I can make that work. And I can throw a bunch of sits like that at deer throughout the year as I find them. Once I find a deer in an area, I can say, okay, I'm going to, I know that he was here on this win. I know that he's in this general system right now. Where's the hot food? I already know where the bedding's at. I'm not even in an area that I don't know where the bedding's at. And that's the great thing about doing all the scouting that I've done is I've got my top five spots that I'm, I've, I've running cameras in this year, but now that I'm starting to scramble a little bit, I'm broadcasting cameras throughout some of these other areas that I have in the back of my head. And I can just, I already know where all the beds are at. I know where all the Oak flats are at. I know where all that's at. It's just a matter of, I didn't think that it was a high enough priority to run cameras there this year over my top five spots, but it's always a fallback option. And that's another thing I'm doing right now. I'm still glassing fields too at night, trying to just locate a good buck. I could still locate a deer like that and take a completely blind shot at that deer based off he's bedded on a certain ridge and he's coming down to this ag field at night. So it's more than possible that I just throw a set like that at a deer if I glass it up over the next five or six days. Um, I was talking to Byron today and me and him had the same conversation last year, this time where I still had one set of cameras to pull. And I told him the same thing. I just told you, I was like, I don't even have, I have two deer that are, you know, anything that I would target at all, but I really don't have a buck that's getting me going. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'll, I'll figure it out. And I still, I first sit still. So I still got a lot of time. We've got, we've got six days. That's a long time in this last two weeks, I've got a lot of time to put it together. I've got a couple of days off where I can come up with some sort of game. Um, and obviously like the good thing about early season and, and hill country, especially is normally it's going to be pretty hot out. Normally there's not going to be a ton of guys out besides the really hardcore ones. So I don't feel like there's a ton of pressure down here yet. There's not like a ton of out of state pressure early season in Ohio um, because it's not a velvet hunt or anything. So I have time. Are you surprised by that? Like the, I mean, I love it, but the, like, I'll figure it out. Like yeah, I, I would have never guessed that in a million years, you know, the confidence level or the, I mean, just, 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 just that. Cause I mean, I feel like that's the way that I like to hunt is like, I'm like, I, I'll, I, I can find a deer. Like I'll figure it out. I mean, I'm not, but I'm not hunting like giant deer. Right. It's but like, he also, he's got so much, you know, Intel, like, he already knows, like he's what he just said. He knows the area. He knows where they're bedding. So if he does come into a, a buck that he wants to shoot, he he can figure it out. So I mean, it's all that past knowledge that's given him the confidence. 
I just, I look at it and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> wow. Like, I, but I love it because I think for, for most guys that don't have, you know, that many spots, that many deer, that many cameras, like as long as you, I think as long as you have that like fluid mentality, like, I think a lot of guys get either like one good buck on camera and they get married to it for like, they're going to go in there and they're going to hang a stand and they're going to hunt it 60 times until they, Push they, them they, the they, they kill them because they, until they don't have them on camera anymore. But I think like that fluidity of like, I don't have a spot necessarily for opening day this year. Like for our opening day, I've been scouting for our Patreon hunt. Like, I mean, I did the same thing, six and a half miles this morning. And I've done that five different weekends, you know, but I'm just learning these areas. And like Jason Campbell told me long ago, he's like, you need to find an area and just learn it cold. Like just learn every single area of it. So if the deer gets here, then he gets pushed over here, then he gets pushed over here. And so I'm just going in and just trying to gather as much information on these spots but they're not like spots. It's not like this tree or this stand or whatever. It's like just this area. Like today I, I went and hung some cameras for, for one of the guys and I went to where he had picked out on the map and there was some sign in there, but it was kind of like what you were talking about, just some poop here and there and like whatever. So I just kept walking around these little ridges around these marshes. And then now I'm finding brows and then I'm finding like, you know, where bucks just mess around and bust stuff off of their antlers. I'm like, okay, this is getting used. And then I come to a, a pinch and there's a guy there. It looks like he's gun hunting maybe, you know, cause really high stand overlooking this marsh. Like you can't shoot that with your bow. Like, I mean, you could have shot the trail, I guess go behind that. And it's just all rubbed up like right where it should be right along this bedding in this like little marsh. I'm like, okay, well now I know that there's a deer there right now you know and that you know isn't isn't a spot but it's you know okay now i know that there's a, a buck in that area you know and i that i think that that's where i love it from that standpoint is the the i'll figure it out but i love the fact that i've figured it out when i go in there and sit and the deer are there and it doesn't have to be a big buck or whatever it's just when I go in and there's deer where the deer are supposed to be without a camera or whatever. Just go in blind or, or whatever. Surprise. Like, Oh, I've seen one, <laughs> but I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like so many guys that get, you know, the like uh, kudos to you for still having that attitude with all these deer on camera. Cause I feel like at least around here, guys fixate so hard on, the trail camera pictures and like i say it all the time but you're like there's people that are like trail camera enthusiasts and there's guys that are hunters with trail cameras because they are like look at all these pictures that i got well how are you hunting and what's the wind like whatever like i don't know like just got at night. Picture. like but i hung a stand right there and you get all these pictures at midnight and you're like well man i hope he comes by like he's gonna come by he's gonna mess up at some point it's like <laughs> i don't know i don't think so you know yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, it's it. There are there's people that get fixated on the pictures for sure, and then like I, I view myself as like all all I want out of that camera. The whole purpose in running a camera for me is just I need to know that buck's there, and I'll figure it out. And that's 
that's kind of how it is every year with me. And it's just a different way of explaining it. But like, I don't always necessarily have spots, but I have like the areas really figured out and scouted. Like I just scout so much that it's like, okay, if, you know, if the wind's doing this, he's here and what food sources are hot at what time of year. And it's all fluid. The whole thing is fluid. And it is like you said earlier, you were like, well, learn your area. So if he gets bumped, right. Well, that's how I feel like if I am on a deer and he gets bumped by or a coyote or anything else, I can find him again. And when I find him, I already know how that area sets up because I have it scouted. So I know where the food's going to be at. I know what food should be hot. And if it is, well, I'm right where, where I need to be. I've got a lot of areas too, where like I can follow these drainages up and just see if they have hot sign. And that's all. Like if I have one picture of a deer in the main hub, it could be three quarters of a mile away from where he's bedded. I can follow that drainage up the day. Like if I get a picture of him, I can say, okay, go back to the truck, grab your bow, come back down and follow the drainage up. And if that drainage is hot and it has scrapes and rubs on it, I'm hunting that deer. I know where he's at. Like I, I probably don't, but in my head, like I know exactly where he's bedded. I know exactly what Oak tree that night. And I'm going to go in there and crawl around and make a play on him. So yeah, it's fluid and it's a lot of fun. I mean, this is going to be more of a fun season for me. I actually, I'm not, I'm not doing it, <laughs> but I considered picking up the trad bow, the long bow, and just like making a totally different season out of it. Um, but I'm going to find a buck to chase for sure. So like in like you're the way that you hunt, and I guess this is probably like a rut type thing that I was trying to think about, like how it, how I have been using cameras like the last couple of years like in areas that I'm not hunting, just like areas where I just leave a camera and then, okay. I look at it. I'm looking at the dates that I've got bucks on camera in daylight. And so like, does that ever like enter into your mind or are you always like looking to just, you know, figure out almost like real time. So, so are you talking about like from like a like a historical standpoint from year yes. to year? Yes. So, so yes, and so I still need to have real time intel that that deer is alive. If I have the intel that he's alive, I can go back on my past years of trail camera data in that area and say, okay, based on the fact that I know that he's alive as a five year old last year as a four year old on these dates he did this. And in my head, what I'm telling myself is he did this for these reasons. The reasons were we had pressure near the road. We had this oak flat heat up. We had this bean field get. We had this, you know, like all of these different factors. And if I can correlate the trail camera data, like that specific date to the same factor that year, whether it be like uh, wind direction and this oak flat's hot, well, I'm going to probably be pretty close to that deer. I'm going to take a chance of that deer based on the fact that I think he'll be right where he needs to be. Um, so yeah, so I do use that on top of everything else. I mean, I've used that before. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the way that I'm like almost like setting up my season. I got three years worth of trail camera data on this community scrape, the one that we went back way in there. And it's like every October 25th, you know, 
20th to the 25th, like daylight activity, like different bucks all the way through there. I mean, you know, some of them might be the same buck, you know, year after year, you know, because there's bigger bucks and smaller bucks and whatever, but that's when they're in there in daylight and it's a way back spot. It's, I, I don't know that it's like overlooked. I just think that it sucks to get to and the deer just get pushed back there and then they're, you know, free to be deer, I guess. But kind of like what you were saying, like in my head, it's like, I feel like if I just go sit there, I can kill a deer there. October 23rd, October 24th, like without even like any scouting this year, like, I don't have to know that there's a deer alive in there. Like, I feel like I, I know it's going to be scraped up. I know that there's going to be, you know, there was an Oaks last year. So it's a giant Oak flat. There's going to be Oaks this year and they're going to be right there. No questions asked. Now, whether, again, whether that happens or not, who knows, but (laughs) that's what I, that's what I see from, from trail cameras. Um, One thing you said, and I got to imagine that the listeners are having the same sort of question. You said about that hub scrape and you were down in there and there was two cameras going opposite directions or whatever. And you had one a hundred yards up the drainage. Like what is your reasoning for not having them on the scrapes is it to avoid guys seeing your cameras or is there other factors there so it depends like it depends on the the area that i'm in so this area has huge bottoms like the drainages are i mean they some areas they're almost 100 yards across so if you get into a hub where you've got different 100 yard drainages meeting i mean it's a huge circle in there of just brush and scrapes and everything else. So there's multiple scrapes in there. And I picked the one, I have a camera on the one in that specific hub that I feel is the best, but the different one's the best, or they saw my cameras from, you know, I put my cameras out in June, probably before most people do. And they decided, okay, we're not going to run our camera right there. Whatever the reason being, that's the biggest, that's the, that's the reason why they're in different spots. Okay. Cause I was like, like trying to be like, cause I've, you know, you know, like some of the areas where I've scouted and like what those drainages look like. And so I can, I can picture like a lot of these type things in the hub scrapes. And then, so I'm like, well, that's where I would put my camera, but like, I know we were looking at it and the bedding is up here or whatever. And I'm like, well, maybe he's doing something completely different, you know? No, yeah. It depends on the area. Um, obviously like some of those tighter drainages that are less brushy, you just don't have that option. Um, but I will say that this year I've found more hub scrape cameras than any previous year. And I've started to find a bunch of cameras with like the, uh, the tie wire, like the mechanics wire, holding them up and twisted together. So you can't see them. Like somebody's listening to that podcast, (laughs) but, uh, but no, it's, it's really good to see that people are getting all of that inventory and Intel and they're out there taking it seriously and having fun. Um, so that's great. I mean, it's more competition. Like I would say that in years past, I've had a lot of these hubs to myself down here. Like I've never seen another hunter in them, never seen a boot track, never seen a camera. Now every, the hub is, I, I mentioned the hub is the new saddle. If you ask me like for a terrain feature where every hub has a camera in it anymore, it seems like. So it's, it's catching on a little bit. We're just going to have to evolve. We're going to have to think of the next big thing. It's going to be like, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out when it happens, I guess. Well, it's kind of like 
you know, I did a podcast with Cody Rich and he was talking about like the public land thing, opening up doors for guys to go and ask permission, you know, because, and so it's like, it's as one thing gets more prevalent, like the deer are going to like move to do something else, or it's going to move, you know, opportunity where like the saddle is going to be way easier to hunt now because nobody's going to be in the saddles. They're all going to be in the hubs. And, you know, it's, it's going to open up, it'll even out. (laughs) Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's going to be evolving to it first being the person (laughs) that's most uh, versatile, I guess, being Andy May. Well, Well, as soon as you figure it out, you got to tell us about it. We got to do a (laughs) podcast that way you get that info out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. So what I wanted to talk to you about was like hunting the wind. And and so, you know, you do. hill country you know kind of i don't want to say exclusively but i think that that's where you're at and what you enjoy and that's where the deer are um do you does your approach and things like that uh change as the year goes on so like do you hunt the wind any differently as the season progresses like the thermals change as the temperature changes are there things like as the season progresses, like how are you adjusting to the wind? Yeah. So they do change a lot. They change based on the amount of uh, leaf cover that you have. Any sort of changing temperatures throughout the year are going to have a drastic effect on the thermals. Um, you know, if it gets into like a rainy week, mid October, that's going to have a huge effect on what the thermals are doing. Um, you know, like if you have big temperature shifts as we get through October, where you see like these big spikes of, you know, it'll be hot during the day and then it'll get down to like the mid thirties at night. Well, that big drop right before dark causes, in my opinion, a much greater thermal shift downwards. Like it just pulls down a lot harder. Um, and then the same thing in the morning, they'll pull up a lot harder, a lot harder in the mornings. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely switching tactics with that throughout the year. I try to wind map as much as I can at different times. Like pretty much every time I'm out in the woods, I'm wind mapping. I wind map today. I have an area that has a, it's a great like green briar patch for bedding. It's got the white oaks. And I was trying to figure out how I can get into this spot without bumping these deer because there's, it sets up kind of like a, like a Y and the mature buck is better than the briar patch on the Y that goes like left. So it basically the, the bottom of the Y would be facing South. And then as it goes North, it branches out one goes West, one goes East. He's actually better on the one that goes West. So I'm trying to figure out how I can get in here and not bump the other deer that are bedded on in the other briar patches on the other Y's. So I was just wind mapping today doing the same thing. Um, and then trying to figure out if that's going to be true when season comes around hopefully early season if there's a good one in there i can be able, i can make that work but uh but yeah and then obviously if i'm hunting like a rut situation it's going to be a lot different than if i'm hunting an early season situation whether it's you know i could be hunting above his bed anticipating him side hilling or coming in over the top or i could be hunting below it could be a morning hunt where you know the first hour and a half on a north facing slope you're not really going to get much of a thermal pull and then when the sun starts to finally hit the floor it's going to pull up pretty quick uh if it's really steep north face you might not get much of a pull all day long 
If it's a south face, you're going to see almost an immediate pull up as soon as the sun rises. There's just a ton of different factors. Um, but yeah, I pay a lot of attention to the, the shifting of those thermals throughout the year. Yeah, that, that's one of the things now that has jogged my memory because uh, the EHD threw me. I was, when I was watching this stuff, I was like, oh man, like that's got to put a, put you into a tailspin. But now you're like, I'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so I was listening to a podcast you were on recently and you were talking about, uh, it might've been with Aaron Blasey, but you were talking about like one of the biggest mistakes that you made and you're like, I usually check the wind on all these different apps and all of this different stuff. Cause you I think you're one of the only people that I hear talk about deer and at, probably because you have so many cameras and so many beds figured out like where deer move midday on a, on a wind shift and you look for that, uh, wind shift, you know, specifically what apps are you using or like, where are you getting this information? Because like, when I look, it's like, Oh yeah, you know, I, I use just weather bug or the weather channel or something. I'm like, Oh, it's a West wind. And I just almost always know when I get out there, it might, it's probably going to be different, but I'm not targeting anything specific. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different apps I use. I use Wonderground for like any sort of, any sort of historical, uh, wind data or like temp data or anything like, or anything else. Um, as far as wind goes, I'll always check the weather channel and then I'll check like AccuWeather and verify that those two are pretty close. Um, and then I, I always check windy and Ventusky. So those are like parasailing apps and they have like a lot better wind currents. I don't know if you've ever seen those apps before. Um, but they have just like, it's, it's much more in-depth wind currents and it's, it's not just telling you like North, South, East, West, it's giving you like an actual, uh, representation of like the swirling happening in that specific region based on all the jet streams and else. So, that's something I pay a lot of attention to. Like a lot of times the weather channel will call for a Southwest wind and I get on windy and I don't know how they do it, but they factor in those currents and it'll be coming in from a totally different direction. And I go out there and it's actually pretty close to what the parasailing app is saying it should be. Um, so I pay a lot of attention to that and I'm just trying to cross-reference as many of them as possible. And that the hourly thing is so important. Like I, when I get lazy, and I quit checking those fine details and I just check like the general, it's a West wind for the day. I might as well not even go because that's, that's not an excuse to not kill a deer is not checking the hourly wind data throughout the day. Um, the story you're, you're talking about was that 2020 giant typical that I was after. And if I would have checked the hourly data, I would have seen that we had an Eastern wind shift at 6 p.m. And he was coming down off the ridge at, I don't know the exact time, but it was five minutes before that wind switch happened, but eyes on him and he's coming right at me. And that wind hit the back of my neck and it was, it was game over. So, um, yeah, checking your wind is, I mean, the wind in the Hills and the thermals in the Hills just sent in general is a whitetail's number one defense. And you have to just be on your game. If you're going to beat a five-year-old nose. So do you, I don't know, I, I have to imagine that you're way too analytical for, for like something like this, but like, so this deer right here, 
this, I killed that one in 2020. Right. And it was a, there was a no wind, like slight, like one mile an hour West wind. And these deer come from the like Southwest coming back to bed. So it was like a bad wind for that spot, but it was a spot where they had seen deer earlier in the week. And it was like, you know, that's where all the sign was. It was such a minimal wind that there's usually like an East draft. And so we are like, you might as well, they're like, well, you might as well go hunt at Frank and Ernie and me and Ernie and I sat there and looked at the map and looked at all of the wind and looked like we were using base map. And so you could use that wind tunnel like hour by hour, like how it moved. And we were like, man, it, and it almost sets up kind of like the, like just off wind, like good for the deer. But I think with that East draft, such a slight wind and the thermals pulling up because it's like right in the sun. That's probably what, you know, made that deer feel comfortable that the wind was like in his favor, but my scent was going the other way. But that was like one of those times where it was like, you know, the wind was like really iffy, but it was successful for me. And that's like the only time that I can think of like where we like sat there and like pined over it, like, like, well, what should we do? And it ended up working out, but I don't know. I mean, do you find yourself in that situation? I know you take these big giant loops and do all this crazy stuff to get in without disrupting the wind or any other deer or any stuff like that. Like, are you like playing it always safe or are you like a lot on the razor's edge with the wind a lot? I can only think of like a handful of hunts in the last five to eight years that have been like bulletproof. It doesn't happen very often. It seems like the successful hunts are always the ones where you have to go like way out of your way to even access into that spot. And you still have some iffy wins at certain situations. Um, or it's like, he's going to come into this scrape, but he's only going to come into this scrape when he's betted on this point. And for me to be sitting here, if I have a, 10 mile an hour wind from the West, it's going to push, it's going to overcome my thermals enough on that hillside to be just off wind. But if that wind dies down to like two or three miles an hour, I'm done. Like a lot of my hunts are, are based off velocity, even like I'm calculating the velocity that it's going to hold and the, and how much effect I believe that, that that's going to have on the thermals. And I'm, I'm just like taking a chance on that deer based off of that. And I am wrong quite a bit. Like I do definitely blow some deer out because I, they smell me. I mean, it happens. Um, but if you're not on that fine line, a lot of times I just like, I don't feel like many mature bucks are going to just be overly lackadaisical to the wind very often. I've had it happen. I had it happen last year, but it doesn't happen very often. Those, lackadaisical deer do you feel uh, i don't know the things i've been listening to lately and the people that i've been been talking to you know it seems like they they're really in this and, and i don't doubt that it's true but they're in this that there's deer have different personalities so some are you know uh recluses some are 
they've had a lot of encounters, so they know what to look for. Some are social animals and they don't live very long because they do everything else that the other deer do. But do you think some of these deer that you're talking about that are lackadaisical have like been in that spot for long enough and got to a certain age that they think that they're safe right where they're at? The majority of the time that I see that it's older deer. It's either, it's either very young deer or it's very old deer. Like it's never, I'm not going to say never, but I see that a lot less than let's say like three to three and four year old bucks. Like, I feel like they're just on their game so much. Um, and maybe, you know, people are disagreeing with me. That's, that's what I've seen anyways. But when they get older, like some of these older deer that I've killed that I'm, you know, they could be five, six years old. You're right. They've been in these spots for so long. They've, survive there they've never been bumped in certain situations they've always got away with specific things are they still very smart yes do they still not take a lot of chances absolutely but i feel like they have a bubble and if you're within that bubble they almost get really cocky ends up getting them killed sometimes and like like they could be bedded up on like last year my buck's bedded in a briar patch and he can see the tree that i'm in like all day long, he's looking down at the tree that I set up in. I just set up on the back side of it and didn't get up very high to try to like avoid being seen. And, you know, he was listening all day. He was smelling all day with the wind over his back. He could see down the hill. He had thermals pulling up. I just, I beat him. And he was, he, he, the way that he acted, he just acted like he had no care in the world. But I think that if he would have got much further off that flat, he would have turned into that old savvy buck again. Um, I think it was just, it was within his comfort zone because he determined that that day he would have seen any sort of intrusion or smelled any sort of intrusion. And it, he just, it never crossed his mind. So kind of like the, you know, the analogy with the, with the buck bedding and they say like, you know, Dan Infold always says, if you came home and there was footsteps in your you know, dirty footsteps going across your carpet or whatever, you know, that something was wrong, but it's like in that scenario, you've been home all day doing your thing and, you know, you go in your bedroom and then, or, you, or you've been sleeping all night, you wake up, you go in your living room and there's somebody standing there. Like that's, that's the last time that you thought you, that you would have expected to encounter somebody. Right. <laughs> exactly. And which brings me back to early season point. Now that you encountered that, the next day you're going to wake up and you're probably going to peek around the door a little bit, right? Because you've had that intrusion and it screwed you up real bad. You're like, I don't trust that anymore. I'm not going out there to get that cheeseburger today. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think from a, from a new hunter, from someone that's trying to, you know, uh, increase their success rate? What are some of the even from like just, uh, other hunters that you've seen other setups in the woods, other trail cameras, like whatever, based on like the wind, what are some things that you think the biggest mistakes that you see, you know, from other hunters or, or, or that you've done when you were earlier in your career? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes hand in hand because I made all those mistakes. Um, I do still see a lot of them. And I make some every once in a while. Um, I, I make them all the time, but I get lucky every once in a while, I guess is a better way to put that. But uh, I would say that, I mean, to start off, access is a huge one that I see with wind. It could be something as simple as the where they're parking their vehicle. Like people will park their vehicle 
in an area where the wind is blowing directly at a deer at the deer they're targeting. And it's like, okay, you started off on the wrong foot. You open your door and all that scent blew right to that deer. And now you're going to access in directly towards that deer to go sit in a stand because you think that he didn't smell you for some reason. Like he smelled you. Chances are he smelled you. Um, but it, I mean, accessing, like, I feel like last year when I made that big loop, that's something I wouldn't have done, but you know, five to eight years prior to last year, I wouldn't have made that big loop. I would have tried to just like draw a straight line and get in there maybe, or done something differently or not hunted that spot. Um, so I would say that people that don't necessarily understand the thermals as much as they can, or as much as they'll be able to learn to eventually might even play it too safe sometimes and not take what they think is a risk, even though it's not a risk, if they would just know that, Hey, I'm walking the top of this ridge on the way in and all the thermals are pulling up to the top, to the spine of this ridge. So if that buck's bedded, you know, even if he's bedded in the upper one third, but he's bedded, it's a, it's a mountainside. Like I'm good. I can walk the top of this ridge and circle in on that deer. Probably wouldn't do that. There's a time when I probably wouldn't have done that. So access doesn't always mean, I mean, bad access doesn't always mean that you're spooking the deer. It can mean that you're just not taking the chance on that deer because you think that you would spook him, even though you might not. So that can work both ways. Um, beyond access, it could be, you know, the tree stand setup where they're not anticipating. I hear it all the time where, well, I was in the stand all day in hill country and then right at dark my wind just started shifting back and forth and back and forth. And I told you a story about it last year, but generally what that or two years ago, but generally what's happening there is the thermals are starting to pull down and they don't just like immediately drop. They don't just like fall from the air. It's like a surge where it'll start to pull and then it'll go back a little bit and it'll start to pull. And it's the same thing in the morning going up. It doesn't just automatically rush up to the top very often. Normally it's like a surging effect it'll start to push and then it'll come back and it'll start to push. So if you're relying on that thermal pole up the hill or down the hill, and it's doing that surge back and forth in prime time, when you need it to not be doing that, like that's a huge mistake that you're making. So you need to play that into your, like, you'll learn that over time. And if you're writing notes and you're log things and you're asking yourself why things are happening and you're not just saying the wind is swirling, you're trying to really get to the bottom of it. You'll start to realize like, you know what? Every day that I sit in the stand from seven to 8 AM, my wind is switching back and forth five to 10 times. Well, that's your thermals pulling and surging. So now that you know that, you know, that you shouldn't hunt that specific spot for whatever that is during that time frame. you need to figure out either a different setup or a different way, you know, come in later. Uh, if it's an afternoon hunt and a deer's bedded in a spot, and you need that thermal pulled down, maybe you have to wait until later in the day to go set up. Maybe you can't go set up on that deer at noon. You have to wait until an hour before dark. North face is shaded to go in there. So you actually have a good thermal pull down. There's so many different things. I would say that you, it just needs to be a learning experience. You need to learn as much as possible and document as many things as possible. Wind map, whenever you get the chance, going to learn it. There's no right or wrong answer for anything in hill country or thermal wise. Like it's, it needs to be learned. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that's the hard way. Um, and it's nobody's ever going to have it fully figured out. Like I'm learning new things. Every time I go out, 
I'm making mistakes all the time in the woods when it comes to thermals and wind, but I do have situations that I've learned from that I can capitalize on now because I've just like always asked why they're doing that. So what is your favorite, like, give, give me your favorite scenario to hunt, like weather and wind wise. So the weather doesn't really matter that much to me. I know that like the common thing you hear is I need cold weather. But I've just, I've killed more mature deer in 85 plus degrees and even 90 plus degrees than I have under 40 degrees. I mean, I've just, I've, it's, it's just what I focus on throughout the year. Um, so, you know, I would say from a weather standpoint, I guess I would like to see a front roll out at like mid afternoon ish. So say that it rained all day and then the rain stops at four or five o'clock. And that rain covered my access in. So I get in the stand. It's still, it's like just starting to drizzle and quit raining. Um, I'm set up and then all of a sudden the woods ignite and they come alive. Preferably I would have a West wind on a Ridge where a buck's bedded on that East face. And then he's going to dump down to his hub scrape and then go out to a white Oak flat. Like that's, that's my ideal situation. Um, for an afternoon setup, that's yeah, that's what I would focus on. So does weather affect your, I mean, so are you one of these barometric pressure guys? You're looking for these, are you a moon guy? Are you looking at any of that stuff? Or you're just saying, I want real time Intel. Doesn't matter. I'm going to kill them. I'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm going (laughs) to, I probably should pay more attention to that stuff. I probably have more deer on the wall and have better encounters, but I just, I like being close enough. Like I'm, I I like being so close to the beds that none of that stuff really matters. Like if you're within, in my opinion, I always have to throw in my opinion in there. In my opinion, if you're within 80 yards of a bedded deer, I don't think that the moon phase has a big effect on that. Now there's times a year where absolutely it matters. 100%. I'm sure it does. I'm sure that people have it figured out where during the rut, it matters or like pre-rut if you get the right moon phase, or if you have, you know, if you, if you need more travel or you need them to come to an ag field, like sure. There's so many different factors for the style of hunting that I do, whether it's hill country, uh, farm country, swamps, marshes, whatever it may be. I don't really care about that stuff because I'm just so close to the bedding in most situations. If same thing with weather, like I know that 90 degrees is not the most time for a deer to travel 500 yards to an ag field but i don't think that the difference between a 90 degree day and a 70 degree day is gonna limit that deer's first 20 yards of movement which is all i need i need him to get up and take 20 or 30 steps flat a half hour before dark that's all i'm asking for so i just like i don't know i would rather focus on the things that i can control and just stay aggressive and stay to my tune than like get too caught up in all that stuff. So does it change? Like, like, let's say in this next six days, you locate a 200 inch buck and you, you, you've got him. you know, where he's bedding. And the first day that you get the wind that you want, it's going to thunderstorm. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. If it's thunderstorming, I'm not going out. Um, 
And it, it would depend on when it stops. I mean, that's a big, that's a big factor, but it changes too. I mean, yes, there's, there's definitely limits to that. Um, but I would say that I'm not looking at the temperature. I can tell you that I'm, I can tell you that, yes, I'm looking at the, at the rainfall or the weather, like storms or anything like that. Not really focused on temp. I'm not even looking at moon phase whatsoever. Um, I'm just, I got the I act wind direction and it's a day where I'm not going to get absolutely drenched in the stand and I can film. I'm going to go out and try to kill him. And so for our, like, like, so when you were in Kansas for the, for the flat ground guys, um, what are some things that, that you do differently hunting like flatter terrain versus hill country as far as wind's concerned? So as far as, as far as wind is concerned, um, you, it depends on the area again. I mean, if it's, if it's lower densities, lower deer density areas, or like a cattail marsh or things like that, I'm still very, very wind based. Um, but a lot of the beds that I find in like the marshes aren't necessarily like they'll use them on, on multiple wind directions. And that's not always the case, but I do have some good beds that they just, that's, you know, they have a core five pine trees in the middle of this cattail marsh that they like to bed on the root wads. And they're pretty much always there and they can kind of rotate around them as need be. Um, but I'm just trying to make sure my wind's right. I'm hunting a lot of transition lines, um, still playing into the thermals quite a bit when you get into like standing water, moving water streams, I've been bitten by streams enough to where I've learned my lesson. And I learned that I don't want to be stream of the deer that I'm after point because my scent is being carried down that running water. And I've had that bite me quite a few times. I couldn't figure it out as a kid why I was hunting this cattail marsh. I kept getting busted all the time. Um, but I, I think I figured it out now. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that those are going to be some of the biggest things. Um, farm country is a little bit more difficult because of all of the other deer in the area. And that's something I enjoy about the areas I hunt in Ohio. It's just the low deer densities in general. So Normally, if I go in to target a buck, like I might bump a deer or two deer on the way in, but I'm not bumping like 20 or 30 deer, which I really like. I like that I can be that aggressive and not have to worry about bumping a bunch of deer all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so situational. I mean, I, it just depends. I, I'm really not practicing a whole lot of scent control anywhere. Um, I used to a lot more in farm country, but I don't really hunt a ton of farm country anymore. Have you noticed like in open country or farm country, I, I feel maybe John, you can think about this maybe from when you were out West, but it might say that it's a West wind, but you've got all these windrows and fields and stuff like that. And then when you get in there, like the wind is almost doing something different or it's, it's going like diagonal of where it's supposed to be because you've got these wind blocks that's something that's been frustrating to me. Like is that there's an area that I hunt that's this big kind of like ag with these little pockets and the wind is like almost exponentially faster and it almost like, like shifted 20 degrees, 40 degrees from 
like where it's supposed to. And I don't, I don't know that you could wind map that just because of the specific property, but in that open country, have you noticed wind doing strange things? Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially higher velocities. Um, the like hunting, uh, field edges growing up, I had certain spots where I was like, no matter what the wind says, it's always blowing in my face. Like it's always blowing my wind back. It could be four opposite direction. I think that was just that tunneling effect where it would come over top of the trees. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be situational. There's so many different things out there that can, that can change, you know, it, it could be how much vegetation is on that, that row that you're talking about, that wood line that you're talking about. Um, any sort of water obviously is going to have a huge effect. It could be all sorts of different things. And so when you go in, you're throwing milkweed the entire way, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you're like adjusting your approach. Yeah. Yeah. So every sit that I take, I'm throwing milkweed the whole time. Most of the times I'm walking around the woods, I just carry a pod in my uh, final bivy and I would say 95% of the time that I'm in the woods, I'm throwing milkweed almost the whole time, just trying to figure out little nuances in certain areas. Um, but yeah, and I mean, obviously hunting hill, uh, farm country or marshes or anything, I'm doing the same thing. So I guess if there's one takeaway, it would be just having that real time wind data, as opposed to just going off of a forecasted direction or going off of like a hunting app. Like, you know, they'll give you the rows that, Hey, it's going this way sometimes they'll even show you like the scent pattern that's great, but that's not going to be a hundred percent accurate all the time. You're going to need to have the the real time wind data as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I don't know. John was hunting. I don't know if it was last year or two years ago and he's got video of all these bucks running around and stuff. He's, you know, John, he complains about videoing and all this stuff. And he just throws me the camera and he's like, yeah, there's like, I threw some bucks and he's, there's big bucks like running around everywhere, but the wind was yeah, crazy. The, yeah. It was kind of a swamp on the edge of ag and then really close to Lake Michigan, actually. I mean, so I was up in the, our upper peninsula in that hunt and yeah, the wind is so unpredictable. I mean, it was giving me fits. Like I knew the bucks were in there. I'm like, man, I know they're right here, but there was just no good way to hunt it, you know, without bumping them out. yeah that so we're getting ready for this patreon hunt so i asked them you know like what question do you have for jake bush and they're like what a wind for us flatland guys like (laughs) wind for flatland people um but it just sounds like you know same thing like just transitions and throw milkweed and yeah get up there and gather some intel i mean (laughs) Yeah. And there's going to be areas that are just always going to be difficult. I mean, every, every different area has its own issues with the wind. Like there's never the perfect setup, not very often anyways. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out how to manage that best way possible. That's all we're trying to do, whether it's hills, whether it's swamps, marshes, it's, they all give their own fits. Yeah. I don't know the water thing that everybody wants to be close to water water access and all that stuff and i feel like that's where people kind of make a i don't know oversight is that thermal pull um on the water and when you're 
like what you were saying with the drafting, like I know Frank tells a story of he was hunting next to the highway and couldn't figure out why he was getting winded on a good wind while he was on a, he's hunting it. He could only hunt it on a South wind because it was the North side of the, the highway and the traffic was actually pulling his scent up to these deer, but it took him a bunch of time to, to figure that out. You know, it's like wild. It makes sense. But you know, you think you, you got a good wind, you're going in there, you know, where the deer are crossing and you know, they, they're 50 yards up there and all of a sudden they're blowing out of there. It's like, what's going on? I got a, the winds in my face, you know, but that was before podcasts and before everybody was like, Oh, just use milkweed. And right. <laughs> you know, it's probably smoking a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. That used to be the old, uh, wind direction. My, <laughs> my uncle talks about that for sure. But yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, 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 you know, giving us some insight, both on like what's going on there, maybe keep some people out of Ohio for me so I can go down there and <laughs> find yeah, one of the ones that's still alive. And, uh, you know, talking about the wind and access and, and all of that, um, anything really changed for your setup or anything this year, you, you were doing hybrid type setup last year. I really like that. I, I think that the more people that start trying that they're really going to enjoy it. Um, I mean, I was looking at a tree today where it's, it's, I could, I could sit in that tree in a tree stand and be fine. But it, once again, it's so close to the bedding that I just feel better being on the backside of the tree. Just decided, well, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to set up for that spot. If I hunt this spot, if this deer is here and he's hitting this scrape actively, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to set up on the backside of the tree and just, and just saddle hunt him and, you know, lean around the tree and shoot him at, 22 yards. Um, but just being able to not have any hole in your game. Like the only thing that you have is it's a little more cumbersome. If you're a saddle guy, like now you have a stand on your back, but to be able to use both sides of the tree, like matter. And I've, I've heard it both ways where tree stands are the best or saddles are the best. And there's no holes and no gaps in the game. And I call crap because I've used both of them quite a bit. And I, I love tree stand hunting. I love saddle hunting, but they both have their times when it's not the best tool to have. So having a, a smaller, more mobile tree stand and a saddle with you, just, it makes so much sense to me, at least. I mean, I just, you know, having OCD in the deer woods and being as like logistical as I try to be, it just makes the most sense for me to be, if I'm being fluid with my hunting and I'm on the fly to be able to hunt any tree that I see, whether it's two inches around, whether I need to be a foot off the ground, 10 feet off the ground on the front side on the back side, it does not matter at all. I can hunt that tree. Okay. So what's, what, what bow are you shooting? Uh, I'm shooting a Matthews Triax, old tried and true. I put new strings on it, new cables on it. Um, and I'll have that bow for a long time. It's not, it's not overly forgiving. Like I'm not a very good target archer with it. I wish I could shoot it better, but you know, I'm, I'm a good shot with it way further than I need to shoot. A, so I feel like extremely confident in that, you know, 20, 25 yard range, hopefully less than that. Hopefully like 12, if I haven't dialed. Um, but yeah, I'll be shooting that for a while. What's your arrow setup? 
So I use vector custom shop arrows and this year I'm shooting 480 ish grain arrows, uh, 110 grain Snyder core, uh, iron wheel broadheads. So it's the vented ones. It's, I really like those. You this the glue in system. So, you know, you want to make sure that they're timed with your fletchings and everything, but they fly great. They're super durable. They have the collars on the outside. Um, and then they don't unthread, which is awesome. Like even for just shooting uh, field points in the target all day, like not having to ever worry about tightening my field points up is great. Like they're glued in. They're not going anywhere. So does it have the uh, aluminum um, outsert then? Yep. And you guys have, so the vector, so the vectors. But you've got, have you got the new vector? They're the ZMRs? ZMRs, yeah. Okay. So then they must have corrected the. Yeah. Yep. So those are their, their new ones. We've got some of their older ones and that was, yeah, but that was before they were having some like quality control issues and with uh, the components. Yeah. With, okay. Yeah. yeah, That was before they went in house with all their stuff. I gotcha. (laughs) I'm looking at them right now. I can grab one and spin it. And it's like, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, not, it, it wouldn't have met your standards. We'll, we'll, we'll say that, but, um, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and, um, look forward to, to following along. And, uh, I, I hope you, uh, find that, that 200 alive that, uh, in the next six days. So you can go right in there and, and snipe them. <laughs> hey, I'll find something that gets me fired up. I'll keep, uh, keep working until the day the season's over if it doesn't happen. So, I'm ready for the long haul if need be. It should be fun and exciting. A uh, couple out-of-state hunts coming up. Hopefully, you guys can make it down here and hunt. That'd be that'd be a blast. Um, but yeah, everybody have a safe and fun season, and hopefully, you get some good bucks on the ground. And yeah, have fun. All right, thanks, Jake.